All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the third episode of Snakes on the Diamond, where Wes and I talk about the Diamondbacks and all the news coming across Major League Baseball. So we'll be continuing to cover the MLB trade deadline as we had some pretty big trades happen yesterday. We're going to talk about what the Chicago White Sox have done, the Max Scherzer deal, the Max Scherzer mega deal, and then we're going to have a segment in which Jack Summers talks about what the Diamondbacks need to do, the trade deadline. And then we're going to react to that at the end of the show. So anyways, if you're catching, uh, if you're stumbling on the show for the first time, it's like before you get out of the box, make sure to follow me on Twitter at Mike McDMLB and follow Wes on Twitter at buyer Wesley. Um, if you're watching this show on YouTube and this will be a premiere, not a live show due to, uh, Realize scheduling conflicts, we were not able to do a live show for Monday. We should be back for Tuesday. Anyways, you do that. when that happens, make sure to hit that subscribe button. Harder than a Christian Walker home run. Leave a like faster than Dre Jamison can beat Corbin Carroll in a race. And give us a comment on how we can improve the show. Your support is greatly appreciated. And yes, I did read the ban- banner straight off. Well, good morning, Michael. There's a lot of news that's going down or... Went down, I guess, two days ago when people watched this. Um, we'll get right into it, I think. Uh, are we, are we want to lead off with uh, probably the biggest headline right now is Max Scherzer getting sent over to the, uh, from the Mets to the Rangers. Yep. All righty. So we're going to show you what's going on here. So the big news of the day is the range of yesterday was the Rangers acquiring Max Scherzer from the Mets. So the Mets are paying. So Scherzer is due about $58 million between now and the end of the 2024 season after signing a three year, $130 million contract in the Mets after the 2021 season. So Scherzer is heading for Texas. In exchange for Rangers prospect Luis Angel Acuna, brother younger brother of Ronald Acuna Jr., and the Mets and the Rangers will be paying twenty two and a half million dollars. I'm sure it's remaining salary that may be to keep them under the luxury tax. I could be wrong. So, what do you think about this trade and the kind of the return? Well, I think it's worth stating that if the Mets didn't send over $35.7 million. Uh, They probably wouldn't have gotten uh, uh, Ronnie's little brother back in the trade. Um, He's a good prospect. I know Keith Law is not a believer, but I I am. Um, I think think, uh, some of the money being sent over was contingent on him. uh, Like, he's going to pick up the option. So I know he's also – he has a uh, player option for next year. So he will be picking that up so that he will be back with the Rangers next year. Um, that's a really scary rotation for 2024. If both Scherzer and uh, Degrom are like you know good and pitch to pass form, I forget what the deal with the uh, Degrom is. I remember he had a UC. I think he has a UCL injury. I'll have to check if he needed Tommy John or not. I think he did. I think he did need uh, Tommy John surgery, so he may not be back until the next next fall, actually, uh, or at least middle of the the season. Yeah, and then um, they just lost Eovaldi to Nathan Eovaldi, who's been the guy keeping it together for them, to an injury. 
Yeah, I think that's really what like the onus of making this trade with the Mets, like that's why they did it is because they their the rotation's falling apart. So, you know, a clear clear winner there. And you know, this is actually a win for the Mets. They take off salary for next season. Um, yeah, they get a great prospect back. So Steve Cohen is kind of ha- like they actually save money, even sending money over next year. Uh, getting a prospect like that kind of has what Steve Cohen was saying, having kind of both ways of developing a strong farm system, but also still having the money and the revenue to go out and sign the Scherzer in the, the first place. Oh, I think the biggest problem with the Mets is unfortunately relying on two very aging pitchers. It's a situation that worked for the D backs in 2001, but it doesn't always work out. Like I said, yeah. aging two he, Hall of Famers and aging out, but then again, Schilling was uh, 34 and RJ was 38. Yeah, that's it. Works great out, great for us. It doesn't. It's not a good plan when you're like if you're basing it off of Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling as you're like what you're going to model your team after. I don't think that's really the best choice because they're like you know generational talents. Um, and yeah, I just looked at yeah, I Degrom had uh, UCL surgery on his on his uh, pitching elbow June sixth, so he probably would not be back and and like really like fully to form until the end, like, like near the end of next season, if not like the year after. So um, probably not ideal, but I mean, like that's kind of what, like you're saying, like you're relying on two aging pitchers with, uh, you know, elbow problems. I know in Scherzer's case, he doesn't have elbow problems that we're talking yeah. about. DeGrom, Evaldi. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he that's has, el- has arm issues. It's like, and because of the injuries to the rotation, Texas's grip on the AL West has shrunk. Houston's back in it for the division race. And, of course, Houston swung a big trade yet as well. We'll be talking about that when we talk about the White Sox. And if you're curious, there are shorts on this channel you can check out for some of the big trades that have gone on. We're not talking about Scherzer yet because the deal wasn't made official until this morning. Yeah. But since we're going to that now, let's talk about Chicago. So the White Sox have traded five pitchers to three different teams. We already talked about Giolito and Lopez going to the Angels. You can check out our video of uh, did the did the Angels ruin the starting pitching trade market for everyone else? Check out that video where we talk about that trade and why the Angels did it. But uh, let's focus on the other two trades. So as I mentioned, Houston. Let's talk about Kendall Graven being traded to Houston for the second time in three years. Graveman was on that 2021 Brave, uh, Houston team that lost to the Atlanta Braves in six games in the World Series. It was a key, and he'll be probably asked to do the same thing as he was two years ago. The primary setup man to closer Ryan Presley. So what? Uh, so you think that's what they're going to do? Is that the role you think they have in mind? Oh, yeah. He's going to be slotted back in the same role. Um, I like that trade for Houston. They didn't really have room for... Uh, the Corey Lee was the, the yeah. return on that. So, yeah, I mean, so they, he didn't really have a re- good, like, really, his, he's kind of had that, like, you know, initial, you know, lusters come off of him as a prospect, and there's really not room for him in Houston. So, like, that's a really, like, easy trade for Houston to make. Like, I, I like it for them. Um, it bolsters their bullpen. They're coming up uh, fast on the Rangers. Uh, you got you got to like that uh, if you're, for some reason, an Astros fan. But, uh like the the other returns from Chicago's end, they're really they're really quite good. Like they've uh, there's a there's a trend that you can see that they are both bolstering their their catching reserves and their farm system. So, uh, this does kind of reposition Chicago 
and like like their window contention. And they so save a lot of money too. So yeah, his money Grandal's gonna hit free agency, I think, pretty soon. And then uh, there obviously there are some obvious concerns about Grandal's ability uh, abilities. Despite that contract, uh, Sebi Zavala is a backup. Unacceptable. You look at the uh, catching depth. Edgar Caro, who was part of the Giolito trade, is a top 100 prospect. And then adding Corey Lee, who's was a top 100 prospect baseball America two seasons ago, entering 2022. Although Lee's less likely to stick behind the plate than Caro. Grandal's a, a free agent at the end of the season, so this does really address that. And he, like, like you said, there's some questions about him anyway. Um, he's really he's starting to look done with the Dodgers, and uh, so far with his contract uh, with the White Sox, he's not looked all that great. Um, yeah, he has not. He hasn't been a below average catcher since uh, 2022. So the last two seasons, he's been below average. So. Um, it's like they've just addressed that organizational concern. Um, what do you think? The other trade that was made was uh, Lance Lynn and uh, Joe Kelly going over to the Dodgers for uh, I, Nestrini, Jordan Leisure, and Trace Thompson. I think we're kind of all familiar with Trace Thompson. Um, yeah. What do, you like think of, what, do you, what do you think of that return for uh, uh, the White Sox? Yeah, first I like to joke that Trace Thompson's only a good baseball player when Madison Bumgarner's pitching to him. But for the White Sox, it's an opportunity to save ten million dollars on expiring assets, kind of thing. Chicago yeah. might Chicago's in position to potentially make a free agent run next winter because they've these trades have saved them over twenty five million dollars, and Graveman's the only guy that was under control past this season. So that's kind yeah. of Thing with Chicago, and they're in a division that is very wide open. Minnesota, obviously, the best team in that division. We'll pull and uh, I mean, they got I'll back the uh, like a, a decent prospect. I mean, uh, Nick Nostrini is uh, he's the Dodgers' number nine organizational prospect. He'd probably be like number five at minimum in the D back system, if not number four, like uh, we've discussed in the past. Yeah, so looking at the twins, they are. Two games over 500, and the D-backs will play them in a. Uh, will play them at Target Field in about a week. So we'll have an idea. We'll get we'll get a firsthand look at that team, and that's a very boom. Bu- that's a very uh, boom bust team that relies on pitching to keep them close in the games, and then the occasional long ball to try and bludgeon teams. And they can hit the long ball pretty well. They're just not a very consistent hitting team. Yeah, the Twins are an underrated. They just seem to fly under the radar whether they're good or not. So, I mean, that's the real team it's, to be. It's a winnable division, though. If that's the thing. I mean, their star player is very, the very definition of boom bust. A sub-300 on-base by guy, but hits a lot of home runs, steals a lot of bases, very loud tools. That's and If you're not sure which player we're talking about, we're talking about Byron Buxton. Yeah, and, uh, yeah he is very – he's a definite – He's a definition of boomer bust when he's uh, like on the field. He's fantastic. He's one of the most dynamic outfielders in the game, but unfortunately he's not really on the field much. Yeah. He's, he's our generation's, like- he's our generation's Eric Davis. 
we're going to wonder what he could have done if he had stayed healthy his whole career. I think Eric Dave. I don't think Buxton's quite as good as Eric Davis's peak, though. I could be wrong. I don't. I don't see him hitting thirty-seven home runs and stealing fifty bases in a season. If you look up Buxton's history a little bit, and we'll. Yeah, he can stay on the field Who's long enough that? to get that Obviously, many. Buxton is worth every penny they've paid him so far. Don't get me wrong on that. But Buxton's been worth 21 war, an OPS plus of 106, which you love to have as a center fielder. Although, like I said, health has been an issue. He's been in nine seasons, only played 668 games, and has only once played more than 100 games. Although this year... Although he's been healthy this year, 83 games is a decent amount. It'll be the highest number of games he's played. This year will be the highest number of games he's played since 2017. But, uh... No, I mean, his if he actually stayed on, a f- on the field all of 2021 hitting at that rate, that's like Eric Davis. On 171 OPS plus, I mean, yeah, it's only it's only 61 games. But, I mean, if he could keep that rate up, uh, that is uh, somewhere in like so yeah, twenty three home. Oh, wait, no, it was nineteen home runs in sixty one games. Uh, you extrapolate out that that's like a forty forty season based on like his numbers. Yeah, yeah no, like yeah, a it's, like a 40, it's like a forty. Not quite. It'd be like a forty thirty season is what he was on pace for. I like to joke someone like that. They're too strong for their own good. Yeah, kind of thing. Your body can't handle the amount of wear. We're in Teratex, so it's like, so that's just basically it. So, that's just kind of the uh, big news of the week. Obviously, there are going to be more trades coming up. Jordan Montgomery should be the next big starting pitcher domino to fall, I, I believe. He, he, um, His market's beginning to heat up now that he's, it's his turn. No news on yet if, they're close to, if there's any teams close to a trade yet, but... Obviously, the Diamondbacks were one of the two teams that J.P. Morosi linked in his tweet, which if I can find it. I'm checking the news right now. There's no so much. no news as of uh, noon Sunday. Yeah, this, but, that's, uh, that was last. That was late last night. That one. Yeah, I'm trying to find it. Unfortunately, now I'm at the point where I'm finally getting a lot of action on Twitter. So finding tweets are hard. Oh, you mean X? Called X now. I can't find it. Yeah, that's that's gonna. We need to find a replacement for set the threads for the channel. Oh, here it is. I found it. All right. So sharing. Jordan Montgomery from J- John Morosi. I think he used to go by JP, but no, we'll say John Morosi. Same guy. Jordan Montgomery trades are gaining momentum, and a deal is becoming increasingly likely. The two teams he named were the Orioles and the Diamondbacks. So, and John Gambador obviously mentioned them. Oh, it would help if I actually put it on the screen for everyone to see. Yep. All right, so we'll put it on there and then blow it up to like 200% so that way everyone can see. I don't have the same creative control on uh, StreamYard as I do on OBS Studio, but OBS Studio is a bigger pain to set up. We'll just pay yeah. the $25 for convenience. Yeah, that's fine. So, but, so just recapping here, you can see it for yourself. Montgomery talks are gaining momentum. D-backs and Orioles are two teams that are mentioned. Although I think Baltimore, I think, has more prospect capital that they're willing to give up than the Dimex are. D-backs yeah. are in a situation where they can't. And this is something that's going to come up in the next segment when we play the Jack Summers video, but 
Basically, the D-backs aren't going to trade Lawler, and now they're in a position where they can't afford to trade Brandon Fott now to get yeah. somebody that can move the needle from, like, a David Bednar or, well, Jordan Montgomery only helps them this year unless they can sign to an lot. Unless they can sign him to uh, an ex, unless they can sign to an extension. Now, if the D-backs are willing to sign Montgomery to, if D-backs are able to sign Montgomery to extension as part of the deal, then yes, I would give up more. Yeah, well, that's, else to, I, I would test to, free agency if I was Montgomery. I mean, I don't see why he he would want to sign an extension necessarily. Yeah, no, it, it, there's not there's not enough depth in our farm system to trade away without like completely mortgaging the the future going forward so this is not the farm so not the time to trade away the farm for like we need more than just one or two pieces so yeah. and then uh, montgomery is a boris client so he, so the extension's not happening it's not extension happening. if he was an amenable to extension they would have probably would have re-upped with st louis but then you have to you you have to pay you have to pay um so most likely a trade for montgomery would have to be a rental so two months Although Montgomery I, in two months could be make the difference for the D-backs making the postseason or not. Yes, that is true. I think uh, the Cardinals are scoring extensions right now with Montgomery and uh, Hicks. And no. if they can't, they, they may trade them. That's the only well, way the, I see it. Like the they Hicks, the Hicks it. extension is already stalled and they're shopping him again. Montgomery, yeah. again, is not going to sign an extension because of yeah. who his agent is. Yeah, that makes sense. So like, I think I expect yeah. both of those two players to move. Montgomery uh, is basically left-handed Merrill Kelly. If you want to know what what to expect, left-handed Merrill Kelly. Yeah. Over the next like 36 hours, I would be surprised if they're still here. Uh, you know, they're still with their current team. All right. So transition over to the video. We're going to play that on top, and we're going to sh- we're going to keep our we're going to not talk over it. So we talk, So this is before the Tommy Henry news broke out. The Henry has an elbow inflammation. We're also going to discuss what that might do for their trade deadline plans in a separate video, which may actually publish before this episode comes out. We'll put that link to that video in the description. But anyways, without further ado, let's get into that video. As we head into this deadline, the D-backs will obviously have to give up quite a bit of prospect haul in order to improve their roster. We're going to talk about their top prospects and whether or not the D-backs should trade with them. Coming alongside with me for this segment is Jack Summers, publisher inside the Diamondbacks, and has quite a storied baseball history with this organization. So we're going to bring him in, and uh, you can follow Jack on Twitter at ShoeWizard59. So you'd just like to uh, give a brief introduction of... Doing pretty good. All right. So I'm going to give the audience a bit of a brief introduction on your baseball expertise here and why this segment's kind of important to listen through. Uh, you want me to give that myself, you said? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I've been following the game very closely since childhood. Um, I started off uh, playing simulation games when I was 10 years old and learning um, a lot of ins and outs about how runs are really scored and what really matters beyond the surface uh, stats that people are used to seeing. Then uh, by the time Bill James came along in the 80s and started writing about all this stuff, um, it was all second nature to me. It made sense. Um, like, oh, okay, finally somebody's talking about it in a way that I understand. And that's pretty much how I followed the game. Um, you know, I played fancy baseball like everybody else. 
um, you know, starting in the, actually the uh, late eighties, early nineties, I was a very early adapter to that game. And uh, at that point I had a lot of advantages because of the way I viewed the game and uh, the way I viewed projections. So that kind of helped me in my fantasy baseball career. Um, later, uh, once I moved back to the States from living in Asia uh, through blogging and networking, um, I got noticed by um, the folks that uh, run the Diamondbacks television broadcast, and they brought me in to do some part-time stats and scorekeeping um, and uh, writing of notes and uh, pregame notes and um, scouting reports on other teams' players uh, as well as the, the Diamondbacks themselves. And I helped out the on-air talent for a while part-time uh, from 2006 to 2008. That translated into a job in the Diamondbacks front office as an analyst. I worked for Josh Burns for two plus years um, from uh, 2008 through spring of 2010. Um, and that was great. I mean, I learned so much from, you know, just being around uh, baseball people and coaches and, and evaluators and, and scouts. And it really helped round out my understanding of how and when to apply statistics and, um, you know, how to merge and, and mesh them together with you know, what's going on on the field and how, you know, baseball people actually view things. Um, and so that that was a great education for me. I left the industry for a while to go back to Asia. And in 2016, I came back to the States. Um, and uh, since 2018, I've been covering the team full-time as a beat writer, first for AZ Snake Pit, um, uh, part of uh, the SB Nation group. And then uh, since September of last year, uh, for Sports Illustrated's Fan Nation uh, uh, Diamondbacks website called Inside the Diamondbacks, where Michael and I have been working together and uh, trying to provide as much good content as we could to, to fans and, and, and uh, everyone alike. So that's my bio. All right. So if we're looking at the Diamondbacks right now, what would you say is their biggest problem right now that they need to address? Not only for just this season, but beyond for maybe the next three years while they have Zach Gallen under team control. Um, in my opinion, the biggest deficit for the team um, in the Mike Hazen era has been, of course, pitching overall. Um, and it's fairly clear to me that the biggest impact or bang for the buck that the team can really make at this point is to find a way to shore up the back end of the bullpen for real, you know, not just put a few pieces here and there that they think might work out or, you know, see if a veteran closer has another year left in him or whatever. Um, you know, I wrote the other day, the Diamondbacks, uh, save percentage in the ninth inning is the second worst in baseball dating back to 2017 and as well as this year and their uh, bullpen era in the ninth inning and in save situations is the worst in baseball both this year where it's well over eight and uh, dating back to 2017 where it's in the mid to high fours um, so you know it's been a constant problem and while relievers are volatile and very difficult to project. The fact is, is through trades, through signings, through in-house development, they've, they've failed to really put together um, a solid run of good back-end 
closers and, and bullpen relievers. And, and it's cost them. It's cost them repeatedly over the years. They need starting pitching too. There's no doubt about it, but they do have some in-house starting pitching um, that is developing and still in the process of developing. Um, and to me, the biggest deficit is definitely still in the bullpen. And obviously the biggest closer name on the market, Dimebacks could either target a rental like Jordan Hicks, or they could perhaps go for a bigger name with more control with David Bednar from Pittsburgh. But of course, the cost to get Bednar is going to be very high. Most likely we'll be, they'll be giving up either Brandon Fott, Drew Jones, or Jordan Lawler to facilitate that trade. And obviously the team isn't going to trade Lawler at this point. So why don't we just talk about uh, Brandon Fott and what kind of value he might bring back at the trade deadline? Well, obviously it depends on how other teams view him, right? Whenever we talk about trade values, you know, we like to project how much uh, production the players will give. We usually quantify that in terms of war and what's war worth and, and all of that. But when you're dealing with um, young players and prospects, that's, you know, they're very difficult to project in the first place. Um, so, you know, that, that way of projecting um, trade values is fun to do, but it has its limitations. So I just wanted to start off with that caveat. Um, I think in the case of Brandon Fought, that it all comes down to what the team, this team believes about his ability to shape and move and command his fastball. Um, you know, he's had uh, problems giving up home runs throughout his entire professional career. He's given up 61 homers and 359 minor league innings. And now I think he's up to what, 12 homers and 32 innings. You can correct me if I'm wrong on that number. Um, anyway, you slice it though. It's, it's eye watering. So it boils down to, you know, it, he can't, he doesn't have a 98 mile an hour four seamer that, you know, can ride at the top of the zone and, you know, beat guys with that pitch, even if it's kind of in the middle. Um, he just doesn't have that pitch. You know, when he comes in and he challenges guys, he gets hammered and he gives up home runs. Um, and that's always been the case. This isn't something new. It's not just major league hitters that do this to him. So, you know, either he finds a way to, I don't know, maybe he, you know, develops a, a cut fastball with a little bit more late movement to get it on guys' hands. Maybe, um, you know, it's just simply a matter of learning how to command the pitch better and, you know, not be stubborn about thinking that you can challenge guys in the middle of the zone. You've got, he's got to put it on the edges. He's got a great sweeper. Uh, There's no question. It's a, it's a high, high spin uh, breaking pitch and, you know, it, it moves a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, he can get a lot of outs with that. His changeup is a work in progress. Sometimes it's not too bad. Sometimes it's not so great. Um, you know, the thing is, is in my view, um, at this point in time, if he's reduced to a guy that's only going to be effective on the days that he's painting the corners with his fastball to set up his sweeper, then that lowers his ceiling a great deal. But my view may not be that of the teams or other teams. Um, other teams may be looking at what's happened to him this year and just they're out on him. Baseball America's already dropped him to like 57th on their top, you know, top 100 list. I think some of the other websites have him a little bit higher. Um, you know, is that representative of now of how other teams are viewing him? Hard to say. Uh, the most important thing is how do the Diamondbacks view him? Is he part of their untouchables? If he is, that means they have a lot of confidence that he's going to figure out, you know, um, his fastball situation. Um, but if they move him, 
now they may be selling high on him or as high as they could could still be um you know if they wait for him to go get lit up in three or four more starts the rest of this year how much trade value is he going to have during the offseason so that's kind of where i'm at i would move thought personally for bednar that's my opinion but um i i have to believe that the diamondbacks have a better view on really where fought is in his development and what his potential future still is. So looking up his stats on his fastball, batters are hitting 348 with six home runs and a 710 slugging percentage on the on the pitch itself. Yeah, that's not great. <laughs> that's not that's not what you want. Um, there's def- you know, and it's representative of what we're seeing with our eyes, right? Um, how does that do? You, do you have any data on his uh, fastball in the minor leagues, Michael? Do you have anything that you can compare that to? I think Brooks baseball might have something on that. Obviously, it doesn't line up with Statcast. It doesn't line up the same with Statcast because it's a different measurement. So I'm gonna pull that. I'm gonna pull that up and share the screen real quick. Of course, uh, Brooks Baseball also accounts for his uh, minor league and major league. Now, how far mm-hmm. back does it go? Uh, it goes to when he first got called up in August of 22 to tri- when he got promoted to AAA. So this is velocity. And then Brooks has this as the vertical movement on his fastball. Which color line is that? Is the fastball? It's the top line. Okay, and how does that compare to average? So, look, comparing to average, we'd have to go back to the uh, landing page, but four se- it says the four seamer has natural sinking action, but it results in more fly balls and slightly less less natural movement than typical. That's what the scouting report at his fastball shows here on Brooks Baseball. That tracks. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah, well, we I, by... think, I, I think at this point, um, you know, my opinion based on the article that I wrote the other day about David Bednar, um, you know, is is pretty well known. Um, you know, I, I personally think that getting a, a closer like Bednar at, at the peak of his powers, in the peak of his career, he's 28 years old, he's you know, throwing 97 miles an hour. He's got a great curveball. Um, you know, he doesn't have a ton of mileage on his arm, uh, you know, and, and he's under control until 2027. If Brandon fought plus a lesser pros- <clears throat> prospect or two is enough to get him, which I have no idea if it is, um, you know, I, I pull the trigger on that right now all day long. Yeah, if you also look at his movement profile on the four-seamer on StatCast, there's less vertical uh there's less vertical movement horizontal movement obviously diamondbacks don't necessarily val- um value horizontal movement per se but that's not true that's not true for every pitcher mm. then it comes down to uh release but the fact that uh 
Futz fastball movement at that velocity only, which is not that much different from Zach Gallon's four seam fastball velocity, has more drop than that. You know, like I said, it comes down to the arm action. His arm angle is a lot lower. It's a lower release point than compared to most pitchers his size. I mean, his height. It's a little bit different. But it's pretty clear the fastball has a much flatter shape. Yes, me. And that's why it, I think hitters are able to track it very well. Yeah. Yeah, I think just, you know, they pick it up easily coming out of his hand, you know, visually. That That's probably a factor as well. Uh, you know, sometimes a minor tweak, learning how to hide hide the ball a little bit better, you know, helps a guy. Um, that There are examples of that, you know, but they're, they're not that common. It's hard to do. So, um, you know, moving beyond thought, though, and, and, and Bednar, I, I think that, the other, so a fellow that I used to correspond with quite a bit um, popped up on AZ Snake Bits threads yesterday, Robert S. And he, he channeled uh, uh, John Schurholtz, the uh, former GM for the uh, Atlanta Braves, and how for years he managed to um, parlay prospects that might be a bit overrated in the industry into really good players. Um, you know, and he was just very good at knowing when to sell a prospect at his peak, but, you know, at a point where they had pretty much already determined that the guy wasn't going to quite make it as an everyday player or a star or anything like that. And he had a great track record doing it, you know, so self-scouting and knowing your guys and, and how you rank them. I mean, you rank prospects, uh, Baseball America, Fangraphs, MLB Pipeline, everybody's ranking players. The question is, is, you know, what's the, the Diamondbacks board look like, you know, and where is it different? You know, who do they have a lot lower down than the industry consensus? Yep. Fott could be one of those guys. Maybe they're, uh, maybe Jones has dropped a little bit because of injuries. Although Jones is, they're going to, they're, they were betting on ceiling as opposed to floor when they took him last year. Correct. Correct. They may yeah. have guys. Jones is a tough, tough one to figure, right? Because he's played so little, um, you know, and, and the, the shoulder and then later what quad and hamstring injuries, um, you know, they're very concerning, right? Because these types of injuries tend to recur. Um, and just, just the way personally, you know, watching him and the way he moves and the way he swings, I, it didn't do it for me, but I'm not a scout. You know, and a lot smarter people than me, especially when it comes to uh, evaluating amateur prospects, thought so highly of him. So, you know, I, I have to assume that I'm wrong in my somewhat uh, negative viewpoint on Jones. And, and But frankly, I had that viewpoint before he had the quad and hamstring injuries this year. So, you know, setting aside my flawed scouts view, because I am not a scout, um, I, I think that uh, I can evaluate, you know, the, the health risks. And and at this point, to me, they look like they're quite high. So, but again, you know, other teams are seeing that as well, right? Yep. I mean, basically, he's lost a year. And instead of coming up and maybe at the end of 26, now you're talking the end of 27, and he's going to be on the 40-man roster for his call-up, most likely. Right. I, I think, you know, 
kind of zooming out a little bit, just taking a, a better look at the big picture with the Diamondbacks. Um, it was the question was posed to me last night by one insider that I was talking to at Chase Field, and his question was, you know, does this team really deserve? for their GM to go all in and be aggressive at the deadline. You know, have the way they played over the last really month plus, right? Since Yeah, since they had that big win against Tampa Bay, they are 7 and 17 now. Right. And but even prior to that, you know, they had gotten to what 41 and 25 and then they went like 7 and 7. Against you know stiffer competition. Nine, I would say I think they went nine and nine. Well, I had them seven and seven um, when they won that first game of the Tampa Bay series, right? They were up to forty eight and thirty two. They were still sixteen over. Okay, um, and then you know so they went from forty one twenty five to forty eight and thirty two after that victory, that first victory against Tampa Bay. You know, and then since then, of course, the, the wheels have fallen off. But my point is, is that. You know, they had a soft schedule for a while there. It started off difficult the first 10, 20 games. But then, you know, over the next 40 games, it was actually a very, very soft schedule. And they were beating up on a lot of pretty poor teams. And then as soon as the schedule stiffened, you know, they they dropped back to a 500 team. And the only teams in that stretch they were winning against were like Detroit, you know, and and, and not not very good baseball teams. Um, right, and Washington. in the Tampa Bay series, you know, we, we've seen them really falter and drop. And now they're kind of spiraling and looking for answers and staring into their lockers after games and not really knowing what, what hit them. That's kind of where it's at. And it's like, it's just not one problem. The lineup's not hitting when it isn't producing the big hit. Obviously they're getting base runners, but they're not getting them in scoring them. And then the bullpen, obviously, the ninth inning has been a huge issue, and then that kind of just has a psychological effect on not only the players, but also Tori Lavello. It's like, okay, how do I piece through this game? Knowing that you could play well for eight innings and still not win. Now, I, I think that one thing probably we need to acknowledge is the shape of the season and, and the sequencing of it. You know, um, And again, a, a lot of that is dictated by the schedule itself. Right? But um, you know, had the Diamondbacks started off 20 and 30, you know, and then went 35 and 20 in their next game, next, you know, uh, next, yeah. next 50 games, we'd be thinking about this a lot differently, wouldn't we? You know, it's if they really- were five to 10 games ba- under 500, you know, barely staying ahead of the Rockies in the NL West and buried in their wild card. And then they went on a strong run and got to within one game of being in a wild card. We would be like, oh my God, this is unbelievable. What's happening with this team, right? We'd, be, we'd all be so excited about it. We'd be uh, we'd be in the same position as Cincinnati Reds fans right now. Right. Whoops. Pardon me. Or even Chicago. Like Chicago's starting to surge. Although I don't think they picked up a game yesterday. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, there's that right now. The question is, is can they get hot again? You know, and all, many people will feel like, okay, well, you know, they, they had a good stretch. They got hot before. Why can't they do it again? Um, and I think that, 
again, it just comes back to schedule. Schedule's still a lot tougher. You wrote an excellent article detailing the schedule. Yeah. I'd highly recommend people to go to um, si.com slash MLB slash Diamondbacks and go look for that article from Michael under the analysis tab. Um, it's, you know, been, it's almost a month old, but um, it really outlined what was happening with the schedule for the rest of the year. And if you look at the schedule itself and just who's on tap, you know, over the next six to eight weeks, it's pretty hard. Um, both in who they're playing between now and, and early September, and then also that stretch of 17 straight games in September. And it's, it's a difficult schedule, much more difficult than the one that they had when they, you know, from mid-May to mid-June where they ran off that stretch. So, you know, but schedule aside, sure, it's possible. Anything's possible. Um, it's just not very likely at this point. The way they project out, um, you know, their they're on-paper projections are to be sub-500 the rest of the year, you know. Um, and uh, if they are a couple games under 500 the rest of the way, then, you know, then they're staggering in with, you know, what, 83 wins, 84, I don't know, somewhere in there where it's up to date, but. Uh, you know, and then at that point, we're left to uh, kind of trumpet the fact that, well, they, you know, they, they improved, improved by 10 games total by X amount of games from the year prior. You know, and then I don't think that's going to leave people satisfied at this point. Expectations got raised and now a lot of people are feeling disappointed. So I think, you know, go, going back to the central theme here, what should or what will the Diamondbacks do? I just can't fathom that with each and every loss that they've suffered over the last two weeks, it hasn't chipped away at the front office's willingness to pay a high price. To I think, up- like I said, um, like we alluded to earlier, I think the only move that might make something happen is they might have to go after David Bednar. And pay that, pay the price necessary to get that because then you have that ninth inning guy you feel comfortable with, and and when he, and then it just kind of okay if we can get the game into the ninth inning with lead we're gonna win, and that has a uplifting psychological effect, right? Kind of like when the D backs acquired Martinez six years ago. It's like okay if we can get somebody on for Martinez, we're gonna score runs this inning, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, how many they, – they they got eight, eight ninth-inning blown saves. You know, it's the second most in baseball this year, I think, behind the Astros. Um, you know, and you can't say, well, eliminate all eight of them because every team blows some saves. Yeah. You know, but, Bender's blown three. I've seen him do, do it once. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think that – you could reasonably say, you know, if they had a competent closer and, and a reason, you know, and then the guys that have been struggling in the ninth inning kind of move them back into the setup roles they belong in, um, the team probably be a couple of two, three wins better at least. You know, I mean, I, I, that's not difficult to say. I, you can't just turn around and say, well, they blew eight saves. If they only blew three, they'd be five games better and, they'd, you know, be in the first wild card and tied with the Dodgers. You, you can't, You can't do that. That's not reasonable expectation, but I think a reasonable expectation is to at least be somewhere around league average. If you're trying to have a contending team, at least have a league average. You know, don't rank last in ninth inning saves and and 23rd overall or whatever it is right now in bullpen ERA. Uh, 
So I, I think that that's the move that gets them at least two more games, three more games. You yeah, know, that was a be the difference of, or making the playoffs or not. You know, that was but a point it, that I brought it, it up. what they need for the next three years too. Because they do already have, because of the roster you see at what they have right now, they have a foundational piece in Corbin Carroll. They have an ace in Zach Gallen. Ketel Marte is an all-star level player, although he didn't get in this year. But it's like, you got that second complimentary bat. He's your most consistent bat. And I just need to get, and I feel like they're just one bat away from having a pretty good line, pretty good top half of the lineup. Right. But what, so one last thing on, on uh, Bednar is, you know, if they did make this trade, even though you're giving up a lot to get them, you have a really valuable asset for the next several years. And if things don't work out, you know, if you have injuries in a rotation that you can't overcome or nobody else develops or, you know, the lineup falters and hits a, a mega slump and, you know, next year's trade deadline, they're eight games under 500 and not in contention. You got a closer with two and a half years of control left. That's still really valuable. And you could recoup much if, if you do a really good job of scouting all of whatever prospect value you gave up to get them in the first place. Yep. You know, so that that's something that I think a lot of people kind of forget about. It's like, hey, you know, I have this asset for three and a half years. I, I gave up a lot to get him. If I have a good team, he's going to make the impact that I need. If I don't have a good team, I can go ahead and flip them. I can go ahead and trade them and get most of what I gave up back. It's definitely the idea. So that's kind of where I'm at. You know, I haven't really budged off that viewpoint. Um, I, I think that's the move. Um, I don't know if they can pull it off. I mean, you know, look, it, it, if the Pirates said, yeah, we're not interested in Brandon Fought and uh, they're lukewarm on Drew Jones, and it's Lawler or bust, then that's a really difficult thing for Mike Hazen. He's not going to give up Jordan Lawler for any reliever. So, you know, um, it just we don't know what the other teams want. We don't really know what they're looking for and how they value the players. And that's the bottom line. You know, we can speculate all we want, but unless, uh, you know, we get inside information from a player's agent on – you know, that they've been alerted that there were guys being close to being shipped out or something like that, you know, or somebody in the front office wants to leak for whatever reason, then the bottom line is we just got to wait it out and see what they do. All right. Thanks for stopping on in. All right, Michael. Said, uh, you can follow Jack on Twitter at ShoeWizard59. Excellent. In his baseball, all his insightful baseball knowledge. And one more time, si.com slash MLB slash Diamondbacks. All right. Take care. Good to, good to talk to you, Michael. All right. That's a lot of great points by Jack. I don't even know where to start in terms of my – that's the first time I'm reacting to this. So that's why I'm immediately jumping into to, to my own reaction Uh I've known Jack for a long time. He's a very, very, very great writer. Uh, very knowledgeable about the sport. Definitely follow him on X or whatever Twitter's calling itself these days. And go go follow Michael and Jack 
at what the URL was, si.com slash MLB slash Dynamax. Pop that Something in. Something like that. Yeah, put that in. Plug yourself, man. That's good. I would. Go. Yeah, go there. Check it out. I rely on uh, a lot of news from both Michael and Jack uh, because I am not as close to the Phoenix area as either of you guys are. It's a little hard for me to, to get inside knowledge other than my weird sources that I've developed over the years. Um, I think the real big point that Jack made at the end there is that like yeah you can actually recoup the cost of a player that you trade for it's not you shouldn't expect to get equal cost back like if you trade away jordan lawler for some guy and then you flip the same guy later on the deadline you shouldn't expect to get a jordan lawler back like that's i mean but it's true you can do that you can recoup the costs um and the second thing which i think we've all really forgotten as diamondbacks fans if we flip this season around uh we would be in the Reds or the Cubs place right now. And uh, we would be thinking about it very differently. We wouldn't be discussing making a trade. We'd be saying, Hey, let's wait till next year uh, and see what happens. I mean, we're still, yes, we're at the point where we're just going to wait next. I mean, as we were watching uh, you and Jack talk, uh, they made a trade. Uh, we do not know the returns yet, but uh, uh, Hicks is being Jordan Hicks. Yeah, with the Blue Jays, I'm trying to find uh, the returns unknown at the moment. We'll react to that later, I suppose. We'll we'll do that in a separate video, obviously, since, like I said, uh, the Dimebacks were one of, were named as a team that was in on Hicks before he went to Toronto. Although, like I said, the Dimebacks are looking for, uh, pretty much are linked to every pitcher name on the market right now. So, take that for what it's worth. So like they're looking for yeah, pitching help anywhere they can find it. Yeah, that seems to be. I mean, I do like uh, the, the comment he brought up about um, what Robert S was saying on Snake Days. Like that's really like Sherholz really had a talent for knowing when when to trade or acquire a guy who might be overrated or underrated. And I mean, it's a lot. I think to some extent it's harder to do that than than it used to be when when you know Sherholz was a GM. Um but the Diamondbacks they've kind of done that to, to some extent. Like with Chisholm for Gallon, um even even uh like when like I mean I'm trading uh just some of the trades they've made really much they seem they seem like that. But we really don't know how other teams value Brent Bot or Jordan Wall or or really anyone on our team. I mean it's really like they play it really close to the chest and you should if you if you want to be a successful franchise. So this is wait and see the, at this point. I think the most important thing team, the real, uh, which team you values fought the most, you look at how the D backs value them. If they're willing to trade fought for a rental, that, that means they're not, they yeah. don't feel very good about him, but if they're not, which not willing to trade for a rental, they do believe that he'll continue to improve. And of course his last two starts ended up, he kept it. Well, his last two starts weren't necessarily Great per se. He put he was able to keep his team in the game. One game the offense didn't get the job done. Next the other one they did. It's kind of an interesting theory. So Fott has given up three runs or less and gone five innings in four of his eight starts. The Diamondbacks record is three and one in those starts. The only loss being at Cincinnati. Yeah, he's I don't 
I mean, sometimes with uh, you have to wait. Like that's the thing about baseball. It doesn't work like other sports. It doesn't work like you know. You have to be patient. Like Brand fought. Like we still won't know. Like if how good he is in terms of his career for another five, six, maybe ten years, maybe more. That's how long it um, takes to I'm really know a player's value. I'm hoping that we have a good idea of what he is by twenty by opening day, twenty twenty five. I yeah, that seems to be a, re- a reasonable like two three years development is seems like at the major league level is sometimes necessary. Not everyone's Corbin Carroll where they hit the ground running, especially yeah, pitchers. Very very rarely do you see a pitcher outside Tyler Gilbert. Uh, immediately dominate when they do. You shouldn't expect that dominance to continue. That's really the lesson there. Uh, I wouldn't even call that no hitter dominance. That's just ball fine glove yeah. game. Yeah. A lot. Game. Yeah, that was very. That was a very lucky no hitter. Very lucky no hitter. Uh, but that's my point. This is like it's you really don't know a player's value, especially pitchers, until later on. Yeah, we probably won't know until maybe this time next year if he's really. You know, yeah, they could trade him tomorrow, and then we'd be like, okay, the Diamondbacks aren't. It's gotta you be know, sold. They, they aren't sold on him. It, if they're trading five, it's gotta be someone who significantly improves their ability to compete in the next three seasons and all three seasons. Um, so yep. 23, 20, so 24, 25 and 26. We're not counting this year because it's mostly over. Although I assume if they get someone with thought, he's going to help this year. Yeah, I would think hope so. so. Like, yeah, I would, all I right. would hope so. All right, so that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Make sure to subscribe, leave a like, and a comment. Uh, comment down below if you think the Diamondbacks should either try to sell on high on Fott as a while he's still a prospect or if they should just hold on to him and just see what they got. And maybe if they continue, he continues to make changes, he can get to his uh, projected ceiling of a mid-rotation star, so like a 2-3 guy which will certainly help this team moving forward if he can get there and the faster he gets there. So anyways, you have any final thoughts before we wrap things up, Wes? I I was just going to say, yeah, if you're, if you're watching this, give me leave a comment. Let me know what you think the trades the Diamondbacks should make. Like, would you trade Jordan Lawler? Would you trade Drew Jones? Are you going to sell, sell on him now? I, you know, or do you wait and see? I, and like Michael was saying, you had same thing with thought. That's really like the questions I have. And uh, all I'd say is like, have a great day. Uh, subscribe to my content list channel. I have some playlists of music. If you're into that, so, yeah. make sure to check out our, sh- uh, make sure to check out our shorts content, which seems to be our new discovery. I uh, former next show again, Tuesday should be live. We'll let you know if it's not. Nah. Like I said, uh, make sure to follow both of us on Twitter. Like I said, for me, Mike McDee, MLB. And then Wes is at uh, Buyer Wesley. Thanks.